Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are my friends and yours, Zach and Vince. Boys, we are going to do a roundup of new comics. Uh, we The last one we did cut off sort of midway through July, and so we, uh, we're picking up halfway through July, and uh, we're also going back and reading some things we maybe have missed ahead of time. And so uh, the first thing I think we have to talk about, unfortunately, is uh, Batman Three Jokers, number one. Written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Jason Fabok. Boys, where do we begin with Three Jokers? It stinks. Thank you, Jay Sherman. That's where we yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, how in-depth do we feel like going for Three Jokers? Um, Are we recording right now? <laughs> <laughs> yes we are but like we don't have to go very we, we don't have to go very in depth um we don't have to go like page by page or scene by scene or anything i mean we could just do the thing where we say uh you know this is why the story sucks and um well, here, here's the reason art, i'm asking the art was sometimes good yes here's the reason i'm asking i feel like if we just try and describe the plot of this we're gonna, there's not much to say because really not much happens in this issue. There is sort of one big thing that happens at the end of the issue. Uh, and we should say we're going to spoil the shit out of this comic and all the other comics we're talking about tonight. So if you haven't read the books we're talking about, just skip ahead for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, do, does that much happen in Three Jokers, number one? No, but that's that's because the plot is in, some of the laziest stuff I think Johns <laughs> has ever done. Um, the plot is what if there were three jokers? <laughs> well, the plot, the plot is like, um, for the first time in history. So the plot is that there's somehow multiple jokers, but for the first time in history, they do all these crimes that are obviously joker crimes on the same night at the same time. So much so that for the first time in history, the, uh, Gotham city police department is thinking to themselves, well, how could, how could all of these crimes have happened tonight if unless there were three jokers and there's it's all treated very matter of factly there's no sense that like i mean to me to me there's so much crime happening in and around gotham all the time if, if you take the comics at face value that like why would this time um trip any triggers okay well if your answer to that is they're all clearly Joker pranks. Well, like, Joker has had Joker goons carry out pranks on his behalf uh, many times before, including in a freaking series that is ongoing right now at DC Comics. <laughs> I was just going to say, it seems like much worse things are happening during the Joker War than happened during this Night of Three Jokers. Right. So, like... Because the story is so thin, you begin to notice that, like, oh, the premise doesn't even really make sense. Like, why, why would, why would this be a particular? Except that Jeff Johns needs to expedite things to get everybody to figure out that there's three Jokers running around, which Bruce should already know, based on uh, the Justice League arc that this happened in, uh, Dark Side War, right? Was that was I that believe what it was, was Dark Side War, yes. Yeah, and so, like, he should already know, but he doesn't seem like he does. But the reason for that is because they have to make this a prestige format thing that can be read 
separately from Dark Side War, so it's got to be standalone. Um, which, as a comic reader who knows how these things work, I'm fine. Uh, just kind of explaining it away as like, well, this is this is how it has to work if this book is going to stand on its own. But that's a pretty thin uh, argument to make when. <laughs> You know, you're trying to make this seem like it matters or something, or that it's some sort of connection from the Doomsday Clock stuff. Like, it does not make sense on that level, uh, unless everybody got mind wiped. Um, the other thing I did want to talk about before I want to get Zach's opinion on this is, I, I, I I'm trying real hard, Ringo, not to be the the pedant about all of this, but like the story is so delayed that. Alfred is a major part of it, and Alfred's dead, and it just that doesn't matter for making it a good story or not. What that does, though, is that instantly dates this story as something that either isn't. I'm, I want to preface this not not to me, not to you, but you know, I so I did a I did a, a a live interview with Scott Snyder last week, and one of the comments we got was that people didn't think there were enough Dark Knight death metal tie-ins. Because how? Because how? I, I, I saw that, and I feel like that might have been a troll. Maybe, uh, but but I, I don't think so. I'm I, not giving anyone that much credit. I have seen people say like, "How? Wait, how is this supposed to be fitting in the DC universe?" And I feel like Snyder and and Co. <laughs> ha, have given like relatively decent answers to that. But there's like a, there's much more of a precedent for how that fits in the DC universe than how this fits in the DC universe, which doesn't fit in any way. And that's fine if it's a good story. A good story trumps continuity. But when it's a shitty story and it doesn't fit in continuity, it's a very frustrating read. Yeah. And I like Faybox has been getting a lot of these questions I've seen. And his response is always, and he says what he has to say. I completely understand. And like, I do not blame Jason Faybox for, for having to answer the question this way. But when people ask him that, he'll say, you know, they'll ask him, like, uh, well, shouldn't Batman already know there's three Jokers? And his response is, well, this is meant to be a, a standalone story. This is meant to be enjoyed as a standalone story or as part of continuity. Fans can kind of pick and choose. And, like, okay, I'm okay with that answer because sure. I, I understand how comics work. And we're we're detached, ironically, in the way that we can. But you know... And I know that there are people online. They're doing it right now. I can see it right now. <laughs> I can see Reddit churning out um, people who are like, "This makes no sense." <laughs> like, you have to make it make sense in your line, in your in your mind, if you want it to make sense. You know? Sure, sure. And if I want to like double down on the pedantry, uh, Bruce is also wearing his Doomsday Clock. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> suit. Yeah. Um, so. So what this you know, really <laughs> was, what this really was, was a grand plan that never turned out the way that it was supposed to, and and that's what it reads to like to me. I, yeah, to to yes. me, this reads like the linchpin of something that no longer exists. Right. Yep. Yes, very much so. And um, and that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, but but what it really means is this takes place in. The Jeff Johns Alan Moore verse, aka the Killing Zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so we kind of did uh, two two negatives or whatever. Two, we'll, we'll do we'll do 
two negatives and a positive. I, I did like a lot of the art. I feel like um, some of it's over the top in a bad way, in like a bad, like uh, modern comics way where like, like the scene of, of them going over Bruce's scars and showing how each member of the rogues gallery uh, administered those scars to him just visually looked absurd. I understand what they're going for there. It's supposed to be over the top, but like, it was also a lot of pages. It was a lot of pages to get this point across, which has been done in other that's not the first time that's been done in a Batman story. You and know? also brings nothing to the story of the three Jokers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, other than, yeah, other than like, it's supposed to give you this explanation of the trauma that these heroes are all going through, which like to this book's credit, it does do exploration of superhero trauma better than uh, heroes in crisis. The book that was supposed to be about that. Yes. Um, but again, that's about all that's about as nice as I can be to the story itself. Um, but the art uh, before before we move on. Um, well, Zach is talking about this book, too. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, before I move on to either of you guys, um, okay. what I want to say about the art before I forget is that um, I think that this book, if nothing else, is an example of why giving an artist basically all the time in the world to produce work can be a really good idea if you're doing a prestige like miniseries style thing because I think on the whole Fabox Arts never looked better and I think it's so incredibly detailed and um you know there's lots of stuff there's no shortcuts being taken there's lots of stuff to hidden in the background to look at it's just such a comprehensive artistic exploration of, of Batman and a couple members of the Batman family that I, re I did appreciate looking at this book on that level because you just marvel over, you know, if you gave an artist all the time in the world to come up with something, this is what your book can look like, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it is, if DC, and this is speculation, speculation that like several prominent people in comics journalism has, have made, but speculation nonetheless, that if DC is moving more towards a combination of digital first publishing and graphic novel style work, um, you know, maybe this is a, a good enough selling point that like, hey, you really do get top notch work out of your star artists when you give them the time to do a work from start to finish, that's going to be all them. And they're given the time to be detailed and comprehensive. Um, so I, I did really appreciate that. Anyway, somebody else talk. I'm sorry. I just had to, that's the one thing I really liked about this book. I just want to say one art thing and then I want to turn it over to Zach. The one thing I don't like is Fabok does this thing. It's, it's specifically on one page, but he does it throughout the issue where someone is punched in the mouth and it looks like they had a blood capsule in their mouth that has exploded as Batman has hit them. And it just looks like shit. I hate it. It's dumb. And it happens a bunch of times throughout this book. Everything else you said about yeah. the art was good. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bad artistic choice. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's it. Zach? This isn't for me. No. I don't... It's just not. I like, and so I don't want to be mean about it. Um, 
It is... Just, just, just let let the Zach well, out. I don't want to say baby. that it's a bad comic because I don't necessarily think it is. It's. Just, I mean, I don't. I mean, is it? Or, I I wonder if it is, or if if I'm just like too irony poisoned. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think about like would I have liked this when I, it you know coming off of our like identity crisis talk, and like. That that comic is not a great comic, but it has like some good points that have aged really poorly. Um, and I, I'm trying to like view it. I'm trying to look at this book not through just like an irony-ridden, like very online Twitter brain, and just kind of look at it for what it is. And even when I do that, I still don't like it. And so. I, I just, I don't know. I don't have good objectivity when it comes to this book um, for a lot of different reasons. Like, you know, I'm so tired of the Joker. I am like a spurned Jeff Johns fan. <laughs> um, you know, there's like so many like things, so many reasons for me to not like this book. And mm-hmm. then it goes and does, in my opinion, absolutely nothing. Um and just feels like very mm, gratuitous. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I just it's just not for me. So yeah. I, I had a thought while reading this that I wanted to bounce off of you guys. Pretend for a second that everything that was supposed to come out from Jeff Johns came out on time post rebirth. So if this came, I believe this was supposed to be before Doomsday Clock, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was certainly hinted at and referenced in comics before Doomsday Clock was. Um, but so if you know, if this came out in you know 2017, and then Doomsday Clock came out not delayed to shit, but you know more or less monthly or even bi-monthly. Do you think we would have had a different opinion about these books? Is part of our problem with these books the nonstop delays and the um, the sort of kicking the, the the fact that these books that the delay of these books have forced the line in a way to kick the can down the road for so long that part of our anger with it is just that like it's the, the business side of comics, right? The fact that we didn't get the stories we were supposed to get because we were too busy with Jeff Johns trying to finish these stories. Yes and no. Like if I think if these books had come out the way they were supposed to and maybe had the, the importance that they were supposed to have or were, were had the effect on the overall line that they were supposed to, then maybe I would view them a little bit more charitably. But at the same time, I still think that this would be much more um, on the line of like Jeff John's new 52 justice league than like Jeff, which is what, which is what it was supposed to be. It is. I know it is, but I mean, I mean just like in terms of like what we're getting, like it would be new 52 John's and not, pre new 52 johns still and so i still probably wouldn't like it that much um Mm -hmm. even if if 
even if it was, you know, along the lines of like the Rebirth special or the the last three or so issues of, of Doomsday Clock or whatever, you know, that were good, um, are, you know, somewhat good. <laughs> I, I would say they're good. Um, I, I don't see this being that at all. No, I agree with you, Zach. And I, to me, the delay has very little to do with it because um, it, it changes the story in its relation to continuity. But as you alluded to, Brian, that doesn't, that doesn't make it a good or bad story on its own. Um, I think the best case scenario is that if the delay doesn't happen, and this is more in line with the general um, tenor of DC Comics at whatever time it, it were to be released, you would have less of the um, gratuitous, as Zach said, trappings that make this a black label prestige book. That's my problem with it. My problem is not when it's released, because I understand the... Um, business side of comics and i actually even even for the big two i actually sympathize with like publishing schedules and creatives who are crunched to put out work oh sure um, you know like like i totally sympathize with that and i would rather i would honestly rather have a jeff johns and jason fabok do the story that they think is best and carry it out rather than have some editorial thing happen or some fill-in artist come in um you know, from a creative standpoint, I would rather have them delay it. Um, but what happened here is it got stuck in the the black label side of things because let's let's say that it got released as part of Jeff Johns Justice League, which I, I believe Fabok did an interview where he said it was originally supposed to be that. And then with when rebirth happened, he and Johns kind of kicked it around and decided it could be something separate from Justice League and something something more prestige style than what was originally imagined. But for me, and we've done enough of these books on our show, listeners will know, I just don't think many of these uh, books that aim to be prestige, uh, classic, perennial titles ever live up to that. Mm, how many black, not. Yeah. No. How many black label books do we actually like? A small handful. Well, that I've I've not read very many of them yeah, honestly. Right. Yeah, because they all aim to do this thing that like is not really to our tastes, and what that involves is blood capsules exploding from people's <laughs> mouths when they get punched, saying like using the word bullshit or whatever in the you know which doesn't you know showing I, penises. Yeah. Yes. No. I'll, it's being I'm not edgy for edgy's sake. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not that I'm against any of these things individually. It's that like every time you talk about a, a prestige DC book, it's going to contain that stuff that's thrown in to say, like, look at me, look at how prestigious and serious and and uh, and, you know, that is equated with quality, which I well, don't think like, it's, yeah. it's the prestige drama problem in general, you know, yes. like like. It's the can they do that problem? <laughs> yeah, that and also just like this is special, you know. Yeah, this is right. this is storytelling for grown-ups, you and, know. And to and, me that's that's why th both in like prestige TV and in comics, the things that were retroactively called that 
are always the better things. When Twin Peaks yes! came out, nobody was like, this is prestige television, right? Or with, yes. or, or The Sopranos. Yes. Like, nobody said that about those shows. They were just TV shows that were sure. good. Or, or, yeah, and like in comics too, like no one called, I, I don't think anyone would have at the time I'm called Watchmen, like, uh, you know, would have differentiated it from everything else that was coming out necessarily maybe i'm wrong about that but well, it, it wasn't it would have, it it would have been like, called maybe like a prestige format because that's a that's a formatting term but it was it, sure it, it sure. wouldn't be like it wasn't like the equivalent of black label or whatever correct. because there there really wasn't one i mean vertigo oh. was about to come around but here's the thing though Let, let's let's imagine for watchmen let's imagine even the most charitable like um critical response to that which I, i'm sure the critic response was great but like let's imagine that at the time they were saying holy crap this is prestigious they weren't saying it in advance of looking at a right. single page from right it. yes sure exactly. whereas every one of these books is designed to in advance potentially be the next killing joke or whatever yes, yes. for sure for which sure which is yes. complete folly and what the point i was trying to make earlier is that like Best case scenario in in the pre-delay edition of this is that it comes out as part of that Justice League and we think, oh, this is a fun, goofy Joker story where the Justice League is trying to track down multiple Jokers. I can totally imagine it as part of a greater continuity where it's just a knockoff or a a one-off Justice League story that happens within the line that we look back on five years from now and go, that was kind of fun. But when you set it up to be this prestige thing that's released in this black label format, you get all that baggage with it that I feel the baggage is not just from the fans or the critics. The baggage comes from the creators, too. Yes. They're they're attaching baggage to their work as they do it. That's exactly what Fabok is saying when he says Jeff and I saw that we could rework this into something else. Yeah. He's saying let's add things that you wouldn't find in a uh, your average justice league arc and what he that is, means is all the stuff i was talking what that means yeah. is bruce plowing over his parents gravestones with the batmobile at the beginning yes. of this yes. thing all all told across nine panel grids <laughs> yeah it, it means that he is sitting at the at his drawing table saying i'm going to draw Watchmen." Like it's it it it's I'm going to become the Alan Moore. Yeah, I'm exactly. going to become the Dave, the Dave Gibbons. Yeah, but like it's it's just it's, yeah. it's 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 announcing your intention to do important work instead of just doing important work. But listen, right. we have to move on because we've spent too much time on this already. So let's do this. Yeah, let's talk. We about didn't the even, talk, we One even talk about the end of the book, but yeah, we don't have to. It's fine. Well, one of the jokers is shot in the head. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's do this. Let's, no, let's take a break. Two jokies. Uh, only two jokies left. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to quick fire through the rest of our new releases. So stay tuned. Today's episode of the DC3 cast is brought to you by Comixology. Immerse yourself in over 20,000 digital comic books, graphic novels, and manga titles from over 125 publishers with Comixology. Our first-in-class, exclusive guide to view technology provides an unparalleled, immersive, and cinematic reading experience for readers. Purchase a la carte titles or start a monthly unlimited account to save 15% on select publishers. Still not sold? Try an unlimited subscription free for 30 days and see why thousands of readers trust Comixology for both classic and new releases from DC, Image, Marvel, and more. All right, so we're going to plow through the rest of these books because, I, and it's a shame because 
every other book we read was better than Three Jokers, but we're going to give Three Jokers more space because that's just that's just how it goes. Because it's right? prestige. Yet because another prestige. prestige worldwide. Prestige. Yes. Why? So let's so let's talk about Batman Joker War right now going on. Written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by um, Jorge Jimenez. So it whips. It's so much better than it's Three It's so Jokers. good, guys. <laughs> a, a thing called Joker War in 2020 has me amped. How did this happen? I have no idea. Uh, the, the most recent issue, the Harley versus Punchline issue, had me on the edge of my seat. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was so good. I'm yes. not that amped. Oh, <laughs> <What>? boo. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so good. It's fine, but it's not as good as his, his dark designs. Uh, I think it's as good. I think the art is really good. I think Jorge Jimenez rocks. Um, I, I, I think, think I'm, I'm really surprised. I think it's as good, if not better. I first of all, first of all, the and please don't let me hijack this one because I don't. We don't need to talk about how much I don't like it. Um, but the Alfred stuff feels completely shoehorned in. Oh, that... I love the Alfred oh, stuff. Oh no, like, the no, Alfred I'm stuff like is Batman so R.I.P. vibes with this. Like oh, where he's no. like hearing voices. I have like when he started. Uh, I guess in like issue ninety six. I think it was when he started like hearing Alfred. I half expected him to like go full Zerinar or something. Like the problem is, is that he won't. It's it's. No. But I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. I think I, I don't think that that would have been good. I think it is being tempered and, and done in a really good way. See, and I think it is just a silly workaround to not being able to use Alfred in a traditional sense that unfortunately uh, Tynion got saddled with. Um, well, that was going to be my good. Oh, no, it comes no. up. It no, comes off as be... so silly. No, I don't think I don't think it does because it's it's Bruce. This is like him moving past alfred dying which we did not get and i'll believe it when i freaking see it no that's what what, what i was what i was going to say zach is very similar to what you just said which is that in king's book he just had to deal with it like on the fly but never had a chance to process anything and this is him processing alfred's death and that's good yeah this is the good version this is sorry i'm sorry zach didn't you say this this is the good version of Kylo Ren talking to Han Solo in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> like this is yeah, this yeah. is the same as that. No, the, well, no, no. The bit, the bit where Alfred is like, "You pushed away Damien because he watched me die. You pushed away Dick, Dick because he pushed away wasn't Selena. there. You yeah. pushed away Selena because she wouldn't let you come home. Like that. That's like legitimately good. Like characters development stuff. Like acknowledging that and. And, like, his whole speech in that most recent issue, I think, was some of, like, Tynion's best writing, in my opinion. I'm, I'm smitten with this, with this Ron. I think it's really, really good, too. And this from some guy who doesn't like reading new comics. Yeah, from somebody who hates the Joker and <laughs> thinks Batman's, like, a war criminal. You're getting extremely nutty with it, Zach. It's Who good. are you? I, from week to week, I don't recognize my boy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, 
Well, let's let let's move on to another uh, another book that is that has been changing quite a bit, and that is uh, Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman, the current run is written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Michael Janine, and um, we only have two issues of this uh, as of recording time. But I really enjoyed these first two issues. There was some very funny IKEA humor in this. One <laughs> woman uh, at one point says, "This is not a good store," and uh, <laughs> I, I appreciated that. Uh, I like Maxwell Lord being a part of this. Um, I, I I think it was a really fun. I think it's a really fun start to a. Uh, to, oh, sorry, we, sorry, we had three issues of this, right? I'm sorry. Do we read three issues of this? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. I was thinking of I was thinking the Flash. We only have two. Yeah, for this one. Um, you know, there there was a twist in the end of the second issue where Wonder Woman is hallucinating, and we're supposed to not know she's hallucinating, but it was it was pretty telegraphed. Um, and that was sort of my only real critical word about these this first arc. I really enjoy what Tamaki's doing. I like how she's having Diana interact with the world around her, and Janine's art is really good. Yeah. Um, Boys, I was. I was very surprised to get a call back to uh, the Justice League versus Suicide Squad yes. series that yes. Josh Williamson did in like 2016 or 2017. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I have to say about <laughs> about this. Other than like it is, it's I won't say it's like cool that Maxwell Lord is back. Um just because I think I've ranted recently about how like characters get defined by like one single moment and all the stories have to be about that one thing. And yes. for Diana, that's killing Maxwell Lord. But also I just read infinite crisis and got really hyped about all that. So I'm glad it's, <laughs> it's a thing again. So um, who can say if it's good or bad? I guess I'm the Debbie Downer tonight. <laughs> Um, not a role I usually enjoy on this show, but, um, so I'm a huge Tamaki fan. Like I pretty much have liked everything I've ever read by her. And I think like, even on the big two stuff, like the Marvel stuff she's done, um, she finds a way to find really interesting avenues into superhero concepts and discuss them in a way that feels fresh and kind of unexplored for the most part. Like I think, um, her She-Hulk stuff had that. Um, but this, I don't know. I don't dislike it. Like I think, I don't dislike it, but it feels generic to me in a way that her work typically doesn't. And and I mean that like in purely like the superhero conflict arena. Like the you're right, the IKEA stuff was funny. There's some funny moments in this. Um, the art does look good, but when it came to like setting up the partnership between her and Max Lord, like. I don't know. The first issue was loaded with this extremely generic narration about like, where's the line between heroes and villains? Who decides who's a hero and who's a villain? The line is blurry. And I'm just like, that That writing is beneath what I normally expect from Tamaki. And I I'll think like, that. 
it's yeah that sort of thing has been so done to death and it wasn't done in a way here it felt like it was done in a very like back to basics way like if you're if this is the first uh superhero comic book you've ever picked up like then you're fine but other than that like i feel like i've seen that exact concept explored a million times in a way that was less rudimentary um I mean, to be but fair, also, that gets dropped pretty quickly. It's the whole first issue, though. It, it it set me up on like a sour, sour note. But but then moving on to like the teaming up of Max Lord and 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 Diana, like this book wants to be, this book wants to be like your first Wonder Woman story, because like the first again the first issue does a lot of work to like set up like. Diana's moving to a new place. These are going to be the people that she's interacting with. This is her new status quo. There was even like a couple pages where Janine did like a, these are all of Wonder Woman's common villains. Watch her fight them for a bit. And then like, but then it picks up with Max Lord telling very much a story that you would not understand unless you've read the Infinite Crisis stuff, which for me is fine, I guess. But then like it, it, there's a dichotomy of what this book is trying to be. And I feel like it didn't hit either of those particular, like it, it wasn't a, a story for, for people who are new to wonder woman very well. And it wasn't a story for somebody who's well versed in all of the wonder woman, max Lord stuff enough to kind of win me over on that end either. So, and we then, have... and then, we, and then you find out that, this girl who is obviously suspicious from like the moment you meet her is Max Lord's daughter and the true villain of this thing. Like it just, it was all too by the numbers for me. Here's what I'll say. We do have to move on, but here's, here's what I'll say. Um, I think that what you described just there is something that we have talked about in negative ways before, sorry, in positive ways before, which is that all stories not all stories. Many stories seem to be written for the neophyte who's never read it before or for the lifer. And there aren't enough stories that fall in between those two things. So if you know a little bit of Wonder Woman, but you haven't read, you know, every issue of Sensation Comics like some freak on the Internet, then, you know, that, that's a dig at you, by the way. Um, huh? that, you, <laughs> that was a dig at you because you've read all those yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Everybody knows. I think sure. Um, but like you know, th- this I I think that it somewhat falls in between those two things, and I don't think that's a bad place for a comic to fall. Um, yeah, I guess I just I guess I just disagree that it I don't think it serves either of those audiences well enough. And it I doesn't. hate saying that it, it falls I hate in the middle. That, I know in a way that's not in a way that's not satisfying to me. But that's fine. I, I hate saying that about uh, something by Tamaki because I love her work so much, but. I have to go with my heart. Zach and Dad? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Then let's uh, move over to, uh, let's see. Let's go to Hawkman. Hawkman number 26. So this is the last issue of this, uh, the arc that's been going on for a while with Adam Strange and with the Adam. It's, it's sort of been like the Hawkman's greatest hits arc. Um, in terms of like the characters he's often associated with. And the part of this issue that is interesting to me is sort of the end of the issue. Uh, but Vince, do you have anything to say before we get to the end of this issue? 
Um, I just think the the relationship stuff that Venditti spins between um, Carter and Shiera is is some really strong Shiera. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> some really strong uh, heart heartfelt stuff and. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk mostly about the ending, but, like, what a great issue all around, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, we should also say uh, this is written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Fernando Passarin, and uh, I think that the idea of Hawkman and Hawkwoman being given one more shot at life on Earth is... A, is obviously bullshit, right? <laughs> that that will be retconned eventually, but I think it's a really intriguing status quo for a while because the whole thing with Hawkman is that if you kill him, he'll be back, and so to take that away, I think is is clever. I think the whole resolution is so clever in in us in the stupid comic book way. Like comic books are stupid, right? Of course, but the entire resolution is such a perfect. What does everybody always say about Hawkman? His backstory is too convoluted. I don't understand any of it. So Venditti spent 26 issues like laying it all out there. And then he said, to put the cherry on top, I'm going to end this issue by having it make perfect sense in a comic book way how he was a major Golden Age player alongside the JSA. And... Also, how he's still around in modern times, because he's he's getting he's getting sent back to the time period that he loves most, with the inability to regenerate, but the ability to live an extremely long life. <laughs> it it answers all the dumb questions about Hawkman in this one issue. <laughs> it's great. Zach, what you Zach. do with this? Yeah, it's good. I um, you know, this run has been like one that i'll pop in and out of i you know i really liked those first 12 issues or so and then i kind of fell off and um but this was good i i would like to read the whole thing again from the beginning Passaren's art is really good um you know there's jsa bait here adam and uh adam strange are are good um they they go really well with the hawks and don't get a lot of attention I, I i say that as adam strange has his own uh prestige miniseries going on right now um <laughs> but yeah no this was good um and i understand this next this is kind of kicking off the last arc of the book is that right correct yeah um, uh, this would have been the perfect ending for it no, it it would be, but I'm I'm kind of glad that we're gonna get this little golden age arc where he's gonna get to hang out with the the JSA for a while. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's talk about the Flash. So we are two issues into the final Joshua Williamson arc of the Flash. Um, This is a book, and Zach and I were talking about this a little bit before Vince came on the uh, call tonight. This is a book that I feel like really suffered from its double shipping at times. And there are parts of this book that I absolutely have adored and loved. And there are parts of this book that I have sort of felt were dragged out and not as substantial as they should have been. 
But that said, I think that this is coming together in a really interesting place, and it's doing all the stuff I want a Flashbook to do. When Barry says, you never understood, I am not the Flash, we are the Flash, like, chills up my spine, amazing, pulling Max and Jesse out of out of the Speed Force, having him forgive himself for the Flashpoint, like, I like all of that stuff. I think all that stuff is really, really good. Um, even if I think that there's a lot, there's just there's a lot of characters in this, and you don't get to spend as much time with maybe the characters you want to because they're having to squeeze in so many other characters. But I did really thoroughly enjoy the, these issues. What did you boys think? Zach, you go first. So my problem with this is that no matter how good or bad it is oh okay no matter how good it is it's just fixing problems that with the flash stories that never needed to exist in the first place and doing it in like the most fan servicey way possible so it's like it's the like it's the Trump waving the Bible saying, you love this shit, don't you? You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what this is to me. Um, because like, you know, I, I definitely, I like grilled Vince on Twitter <laughs> with about like, yeah, he got me, excited. he got me to leave Twitter. <laughs> yeah. This was, this was like a year ago, only. two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Two years ago. I, farmer. <laughs> Uh, bleep it out. It doesn't <laughs> no, matter no. because he's really off of Twitter this time. He's I'm really gone for good. <laughs> yeah, he's but he, now he's gone. No, um, I really am gone. He really is gone. So when he was when he was the Joker man, and I was grilling him on Twitter uh, about getting all hot and bothered about some Max Mercury action. Um, you know, it's like who even like who even cares because like Me. Max Mercury was around pre-Flashpoint and then Flashpoint like mucked it all up and now a hundred issues later we're we're finally getting like Barry coming to terms with Flashpoint and and all the heroes are coming back so it's just like okay sure so so what I that's kind of how I feel uh, well, as sometimes is the case, I do fall. In, did you want to say something, Brian? I, I was going to say Vin, uh, Zach, you ignorant slut. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> No, as is sometimes the case, I fall in between you two. I think everything Zach just said is exactly right. That doesn't make this arc any less satisfying, I think. It just is long overdue. I think if you you know, have been following our show for the last three or four years, we have been expecting some of this uh, Flash family JSA stuff to happen like any day now for the past several years, you know? Yes. Remember when Jay Garrick was teased in like number five? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, it was like yeah. yeah, in the first within the first ten issues of the Rebirth run, like. Yeah. And then I think he like was teased again at like issue fifty. Possibly, yes, yes. yeah. Ridiculous that it's taken this long to get to it, um, but now that we're there, like, oh god, it's so good to see the Flash family all together again. And that's exactly and that's, how I feel, Vince. I think yeah. you summed that up yeah. really well. And all that stuff that you said, Brian, about, like, Barry forgiving himself. 
realizing that the Flash family exists and that it's not just the Flash, it's it's everybody is the Flash. Um, for, well, as an aside, do you think DC actually realizes that, or is this just no? Of course they because, don't. Because what because what we've been talking about since before Flashpoint even was Flashpoint I, even even was a, like a Flash fa- or a Speed Force or a Flash family right. title that never happened, right? Mm-hmm. It, Almost it, 10 years ago. Yes, yeah. And so, yeah. like, and the and the reason is because every Flash story had to somehow be about Barry. But they're not even telling new stories with Barry, really. Even this is not much of a new story with Barry. It's like Zach said, it's, it's correcting 10 years of yes. Barry-related Flash mistakes. Now, again... A lot of uh, Williamson's arc, uh, Williamson's run with the character was very good. This arc appears to be very good, but that that is what it is at the end of the day. And um, I just hope that when Kevin Shinnick starts his uh, uh, bridge to whatever comes next, which is what I assume his run's going to be, yeah, Captain Boomerang Junior, baby. Well, I just hope that it's not all Barry all the time. Uh, while sacrificing the the illusion of time that we all know and love you know like if if the if dc is gonna let barry say we are the flash then show us that you actually mean it by involving the family as much as they are in this arc in future flash stories please i'm begging you i agree yeah and while i didn't hoot and holler when max mercury showed up i did when the Earth 2, <laughs> New 52 Earth 2 Flash showed up yeah. front and center. So there you go. All right. And the last thing we're going to talk about tonight uh, is we have all taken the time to catch up on the Tom Taylor penned Suicide Squad series with art by Bruno Redondo and um, Daniel Sampier. And Zach, I want you to tell our listeners what you told me you felt about this book before we started recording? Uh, it, I mean, it's the best book that DC's done since Deathstroke, so... <laughs> like, maybe the best book they've done since, like... I think it might be better than Deathstroke. I don't know about that, but... It's shaping up. It's, it's very... I mean, it's, 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 like, it's, it's going to be 11... It's going to be 11 issues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's much shorter. It's much shorter. But, like, oh, it's so good. And and I'm I'm just so impressed with how much he's done in so little time. And how good all of these new characters are i hope he gets to do more i i hope there's like a second season of this or something um it's so good i would recommend this to anyone i'll also say i think that the new characters are really good in this um i think that he's done a good job of building tension throughout I think having Ted Cord as kind of the big bad of this is fascinating. I, I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm fascinated by it. Uh, everything it's, about this. It's so good because it's like, it's like inverse countdown to infinite crisis. Yes. He is. I was going to say he is playing the Max Lord character here. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, Vincey. Yeah. Uh, echoing everything you guys said. Specifically about Ted Cord, like it's this it's the sort of plot twist where you have to think in the back of your mind, like, okay, how are they how are they gonna get around this and make him still be a hero again at the end? Like, what is the twist here? 
I keep looking for it. I keep thinking about it. And who knows? They could they could blow me away and surprise me by actually making him a villain now. I'm not sure how much sense it would make in the in the DC rebirth post rebirth landscape, but but they could do it. I'll I'll grant them that. But even if they don't, the fact that they have me thinking about it constantly and trying to figure out what the what the turn is going to be, what the what the twist is is the mark of a great comic. And I think like or that's part of it anyway. I think everything you guys said about the new characters is right. I think like whether or not he gets to do more Suicide Squad after this or not, it's encouraging that the the Wink and the uh, Airy characters have shown up in um, the deceased stuff. They've shown up in other books already. And so, you know, whether Suicide Squad keeps going in this form or fashion remains to be seen, but I'm confident that we'll see some of these characters again. Um, and yeah, I love this book. I agree with Zach that it's the best thing since Deathstroke. And considering it's going to have a shorter run, it's not going to have the, the small dips that I think Deathstroke took. But it's we're talking about two different animals here. I'm not going to I'm not going to denigrate Deathstroke, which was a great series. Fucking better not. Also, also Deadshot, so good. Yeah, yes. the Deadshot stuff with live shot with his daughter, live shot and dog, and dog shot. shot. Dog shot, yeah, that dog shot thing. I'm like, okay, that that's almost like a, that's almost like a Hawkeye, Marvel Hawkeye. Oh, definitely, it definitely, <laughs> you know? it is. But it's it's still, I I think it's it's good. It's good. It's, it's good. um. It's also good. like, I, I guys, I'm I might be a Harley Quinn guy. Oh, you're a simp. I might be a Harley simp. Between you're a big time simp. And, uh, between this and uh, Joker War. Yeah. Team Punchline, baby. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, that does it for Clown our Hunter, show. <laughs> okay, yeah, Clown Hunter for life. Um, that does it for our show, our bonus show. Uh, tomorrow, we're back with uh, a second part of our Infinite Crisis chat. Um, if you have to get in touch with us, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I am at Woker Fox. If you need to get a hold of Vince, he is writing a very strongly worded letter to Mariko Tamaki about how Wonder Woman's a disappointment. No, no. Your no. words, not mine. Your words, no. Not mine. I I love her work. All right, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Oh god, you guys are you guys are going full sicko mode.